Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we take on the hottest legal topics of the week. And this week, we have New Mexico banning the Second Amendment. We have multiple updates in the Trump indictment in Georgia, along with all of the other 18 defendants. And we've got a lot of impeachments going on. So we are going to tackle each of those. My name is Virginia Tarani. I'm with Tarani Law LLC, because you never need a lawyer. Till you do. And that's Chelsea Rogers with us. She's a recent graduate from American University School of Law, and we are waiting on her bar results. But she, thankfully, this is the first time you've come back with us since May. Pre-bar, yeah. I've lived a whole life. It's been... (laughs) Right. So welcome back to Chelsea. As many of you know from um, the first season in the spring, this is now our third season. Chelsea was not able to make it in the second season because she was studying for and taking the bar examination. But welcome back, Chelsea. It's good to have you. So glad to be back. And what a time to be back. The news, right? Yeah, you really picked a great time to come back. And that's why we have Dr. Vile. So our third guest here, our second guest, our third host here is Dr. John Vile from Middle Middle Tennessee State University. He is the dean of the Honors College there. And he is an expert in the Constitution, the amending process, constitutional law, the founding fathers, and the list goes on. But the biggest thing to know is he is truly the experts on all things the Constitution, and he is going to be here to help us figure out the Second Amendment and the cases against Trump, along with everything else. But welcome, Dr. Vile. Good to be here. Okay, so those are our three topics. We are going to start, um, before we hit those big three, stay tuned, everybody, but it is happy hour on Friday. Grab your favorite be- beverage, get a glass of wine. I have, for this occasion, gone back to the Williamsburg Winery, and today we are doing a Settler's Spiced Wine. And let me tell you, you can smell this as soon as you open it. I, I don't even have to put it close to me. I don't even have to pour it. I can smell it just sitting on um, on my desk. So it is quite fragrant. I can hardly talk today, everybody. You two are going to have to take the reins once we actually get into these subjects, because apparently I have dry mouth. Good times. Just take Anyways. a glug of your wine. You should be good to go. Yeah. If I drink more, it's okay. It's it's not because I'm, yeah, a lush. It's just exactly. I, my mouth you just is dry. You just have a dry, dry mouth. Girl mouth. Exactly. Like- Exactly. So we're going back to the settlers on my end. Chelsea, I know you are not here with me in person. We used to do this in person. What wine have you brought? Um, I also have a very, very fancy wine. I have um, my local grocery store's best. It is Sutter Home Moscato, very basic, but it tastes like juice. And that's kind of my favorite thing about wine is that, you know, just get some some juice going, juice flowing. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you have it. Um, you and I- Is it the California wine? That's a great question. Sutter's Mill, is it? Yeah, okay. And Sutter's Mill, where gold was discovered? Oh, oh maybe. <laughs> I believe that's right. Okay, look, you were totally right. It does say California on the front. So there we yeah. go. Okay. Very nice. So that is what you were drinking. And, and Dr. Vile, I uh, believe you might still have another water with you. Yeah, I do. Let's see. Today is his pure life. <laughs> Excellent. So uh cheers everybody. Happy happy hour on this week of monumental constitutional issues. Yikes. That is almost like okay, I like it. 
but it's almost like eating eating a fragrance oh um yeah but no it's, what are the spices is it like a i'm envisioning like a spiced rum type of mix that's yes. all i can think it's very similar to a spiced rum it i can definitely taste flavors of nutmeg and cinnamon it's not quite a pumpkin taste. Um, it goes a little bit away from that. I, I would say probably some apple in there, but it is very strong, a little bit like potpourri. So I'm going to sip this one. Perfect. It is nice. I'm going to sip this one from here. It's a good little like intro to fall flavors. Yes. And it is, it's the fall, right? We're in the middle of September and it is a good time to uh, ban the second amendment, right? <laughs> Apparently, you can do that. Suspend. <laughs> well, suspend, ban. It, it's you all can the same. Temporarily ban or suspend, right? So we have New Mexico's governor. Yes. Mm -hmm. Who has decided that gun violence is a public health emergency and for 30 days has issued what is the equivalent of an executive order, but like for a governor. Mm -hmm. Um for like Albuquerque and I think that county actually yes um, right saying that you can't open carry you can't carry at all right that's my understanding yes the long and short of it yes it, it's a complete ban on open carry on concealed carry on government property except for a few exceptions basically law enforcement right, right. Um, so that is what has happened. It is technically a 30-day ban. Um, and Dr. Vile is, as you were suggesting, yes, it's it's temporary. But is it was it really designed to be temporary, or was it really designed to be the start of something longer where she was hoping that if it worked out the way she wanted it to, that she would continue the executive order, so to speak be interesting to know if she was expecting, you know, would it in fact have decreased crime? Apparently there have been, what, two relatively young children who were shot or killed in recent days. And yes. so she's what she's doing is she's using a public health law, which is usually used for quarantine for, you know, infectious diseases. And there's a, I mean, there's a slight argument that you can make that, that there is, there is a we often use the term gun epidemic or an epidemic of violence. And so she's sort of riffing on that and saying, well, I'm going to try to use this public health law. She hasn't gotten very far with it. It's already been enjoined, as I understand, by a judge. Uh, and it looks like it's getting, you know, New Mexico probably is not one of those states where you're even going to get your own party to rally around you. Uh, maybe Massachusetts, you might find some New England states where this would work, but you don't want to, you know, when you think of New Mexico, you almost immediately think, perhaps unfairly today, but you think of a cowboy, right? Uh, what's a cowboy without, it's like a cowboy without a gun is like one without a hat, right? Uh, or a horse. So. <laughs> yeah, you've had the sort of the locals, the law enforcement say, that's right. a great idea. Find someone to enforce it because it won't be me. Right. Um, and they've Except had I'm not sure they said that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, true. Fair enough. <laughs> but um, <laughs> get your point. Yes. And so they have, pulled, this is the part that I thought was very interesting. They have pulled resources. So like the state police that you think are like normally out on the highways, you know, 
doing their public safety stuff there. I don't know what state patrol giving tickets. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Aside from giving money giving for the state, tickets, yeah. Um, they have been called to go to Albuquerque in this county instead of their normal positions to sort of enforce this. But my understanding is that obviously this was enjoined, but even before then, there were no arrests made. There were sort of these immediate protests from gun rights groups. Yes. Um, of everyone, you know, show up, bring your guns, wave them around type of thing. Um, and no one was arrested. So I, I would posit that this was more of a move to get things in court than to actually arrest people or do anything Maybe. with. You, you know, there's an, there's an, this sort of epitomizes where we are right now with guns. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we're more divided probably than we've been in a long time on this state of Tennessee you know, there was a, a mass shooting at a, at a school in Nashville and a, the governor who's fairly covenant school, the governor who's fairly conservative Republican uh, called a special session uh, of the legislature. It met and basically accomplished nothing other than, I mean, you, you, you got a lot of publicity from it. You had a lot of the parents who were there holding signs, occasionally getting kicked out and that sort of thing. But in terms of legislative results, it didn't accomplish a whole lot. The, the tide has really turned on Second Amendment. You know, the, the, there was an early case, uh, Miller case, if I remember correctly, yeah, 1939, which sort of said you can, you can ban certain weapons, sawed-off shotguns and the like. And basically, the Supreme Court stayed out of it for quite a long time till a decision, uh, U.S. District, uh, let's say, District of Columbia versus Heller in 2008, where they decided D.C. essentially had a law that said you can have a gun in your house, but it has to be in four different pieces and you got to have your, you, you know, you got to hide the, the ammunition under your bed. It didn't quite do that, but but nonetheless, and the court said, and but but I will say if if there's ever an argument for gun control well for owning guns other than hunting which you probably not a lot of hunting done in district of columbia but if there's ever an argument for owning guns i mean one would be the old-fashioned militia argument you know we don't want a standing army we want we want individuals who can come to the defense of their country but the other argument would be you ought to at least be able to protect yourself in your own home and so that case went, you know, went to really, I would say, sort of the most basic, you know, if you go to the theory of natural rights, one of your most important natural rights is your life is your life. And no one can take your right to self-defense away from you. So, you know, that but it was still what wasn't decided till another case that came later that this was also going to apply to the states. D.C., of course, is a federal entity. Um and as we've discussed in this program before, you know, for a long time, the Bill of Rights only applied to the national government Right. Uh, through a process of incorporation began about 1925. It's since applied to the states. And this was one of the last ones to be so applied. And then there was a, a decision, which I think Chelsea sort of reminded me of because it sort of passed from, from my own uh, consciousness here. But there, there was a decision last year or two out of New York, where you, New York, as I understand it, basically said in order to carry, you have to show that you have a special need. 
And the court came back, 6-3 decision, if I remember from, from what you told me. Um, the court came back and essentially said, no, the presumption of the Second Amendment is that you have a right. You, sh you know, for a right, you don't have to go out and, it well, sometimes you do, you know, uh, if you're eight, if you're 17 years old, you don't now have a legal right to consume alcohol. Uh, right. You can't be on the uh, the weekly wine, uh, at least not inviting. <laughs> you would have to be in your office drinking water with you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Or or at another place drinking water. You, you, you can drink water anywhere. That's a good thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> And it has other functions as well. So <laughs> yes. So and so this case that you're you're talking about that Chelsea was good enough to remind us, and I'm gonna try. She was so good to yeah. give me the the letters. I think it's NYSRPA versus Bruin, June 2022. That's the six-three decision that you're talking about, Dr. Vile. It really opened up and changed a lot of state laws. I'm in Maryland, and all of a sudden everybody came out to apply for a concealed carry permit because now they didn't have to present proof as to why they needed a concealed carry permit. There had to be proof as to why they couldn't have one. Yes. And the it's same is the presumption. I continue to be shocked about how different gun laws are up here. When I was in college in Georgia, there was a bill in our state government that was open carrying on college campuses it was called mm -hmm. campus carry um it got very close to passing did not pass but that was like the big thing when i was in college was the campus carry bill um you can buy a gun with sort of no proof in georgia you don't have to do anything not necessarily have a background check gun shows are huge and so these restrictions like i just think it's so fascinating how different um parts of the country are when it comes to this um, and then you have New Mexico apparently trying to ban the Second Amendment. Very strange. Yes. It It is strange. Dr. Vile, let me ask you on this part. So with this new case from 2022 that really did open up and, like you said, shift the the burden, where instead of proving that you have a reason to need a concealed carry permit, you have to prove why you can't, why you shouldn't have one. How does this apply to what the New Mexico governor is doing? And do you think that there's any bearing? Will it be stopped? What will happen? Well, again, her, as my understanding is the court has already enjoined her order. The, this goes almost more, I mean, you could sort of abstract this from, from gun rights to the, the question of separation of powers. Hmm. What, you know, governors like presidents, have certain executive authorities, per authority, particularly in times of emergency. And again, she's saying, well, we've had two children, you know, recently killed. There's an epidemic here. We need to do something about it. Uh, nice try, maybe, but I don't, you know, I just don't think it's going. I, I, I think if you look at the, not that you're necessarily limited to the immediate purposes of the law, but historically, primarily, this has to deal with infectious disease. And I don't, I don't think the parallel is close enough that it's likely to stick. But, you know, we, we see the same thing at the executive level, at the presidential level. Uh, you know, one of the decisions, and I don't think we're going to discuss it today, and I haven't had time to read it yet, but apparently there was a decision by a judge yesterday saying that Obama's uh, 
proclamation for the dreamers, you know, protecting people from prosecution uh, was unconstitutional. And I doubt that his word will be the final word on it. It sounds consequential enough that it'll probably be stayed and then appealed upward. But, you know, during the Trump, during the Trump administration, you had, you know, Trump saying, well, if you, if Congress won't give me money for the wall, Congress has mm -hmm. allocated money for national defense, I'm going to switch it here instead. So executive, you know, this, the founders wouldn't be surprised at this. People who have power uh, mm -hmm. tend to try to expand their power. I do the same thing as Dean. I wouldn't trust any Dean with things, but there's certain things that, you know, policies that are so wise that why shouldn't I just go ahead and do it without worrying about the Honors Council and all these committees that get in my way, right? Uh, right. And the sad thing is that, you know, you it, historically, Congress has always pushed back against this. And in my judgment, Congress right now is so dysfunctional that it's not particularly able to, to do so. And, you know, that's why in some ways judicial independence is so important at a time like this, because often it is the judges who step in and say, no, this is a constitutional right, or this is what the law says, you've exceeded your executive authority. Right. And it, the, the most interesting part of this to me is the attorney general in New Mexico. Have you two seen this? I have not. I think he's opposed to it. Is that right? Or he, he is. So he's probably wants to be governor as well. <laughs> I don't know that. Maybe but he'll run. I don't know. Yeah. But it's it's very interesting. So the attorney generals, the attorneys uh. general for the states, their role is essentially as attorney for the government. They are the ones to decide and interpret the laws for the state, for the government officials. If the state gets sued, their office is the one that steps in and defends against the lawsuit. They sometimes choose to do lawsuits. And he has come out, this is Raul Torres, has said, I think this is unconstitutional. It completely goes against the Second Amendment, and I will not support you in the court of law for this ban. Well, okay, so I didn't see him say that, but what is interesting about this is it not only violates the U.S. Constitution, but New Mexico's Constitution specifically includes essentially the same language as the Second Amendment, but it's in their state constitution also. So I think it puts the attorney general in an interesting position where, okay, it's the governor, but you also have the state constitution as this like governing document for your state that if you're the attorney general, that should be sort of your default of what you're going back to. And that also illustrates that I think in just the clear language that her order violates it. And, you know, I don't think there would be anything illegal with him supporting the governor's position. That's his job. But exactly. would that we had some people in the White House in the last transition of administrations who said to the president, uh, you don't want to go there that's unconstitutional. I mean, the, the people that are in trouble are not the people who resigned. Bill Barr, you know, got out of there when, apparently when he saw the writing on the wall and there were several others. Right. It was the people who stood by to the end, with the exception, I must say, of, of Mike Pence, uh, who, of course, ended up losing out politically when, when he defied the president. But for the most part, it looks like everybody went along and said, well, you know, we're we're hired by Trump. We got to do his bidding. So, you, you know, this is, again, without knowing too much about the New Mexico, it's sort of an act of conscience, but it's but it's not one that would be mandated, I think. 
I, I think some of them would, would distinguish between your job of supporting the position the governor has taken as opposed to necessarily personally believing that, you know, that that's the right policy. That leads us directly into the Georgia indictments. Because okay. I will say what what I'm hearing from you is the same with like you're already referencing the the Trump turnover is who stayed with them and for what reasons. And what's happening in Georgia this week is the big news is Meadows was the judge refused federal jurisdiction for Mark Meadows okay. said, no, you don't have a federal case. You have to stay in state court. Mark Meadows made a filing saying, no, no, please please don't do that yet, um, or at least let me finish out the appeals for this before I have to do the state case. And the judge there has said, no, there will be no stay. You have to go through the state procedure, the normal appeals through the courts. And what did, and either of you can answer this, is in terms of Mark Meadows and what he did or did not do for Trump, this decision was very telling as to what the judge thought Mark Meadows' role was and what well, it wasn't. Yeah, the judge made a very, a very sharp distinction, really, between your role as you know an advisor to the president or an attorney to the president, as opposed to what you're doing. Well, what are you doing as part of backup? Mark Meadows is chief of staff. Chief of staff arranges meetings, chief of staff looks at the schedule, but chief of staff, according to the judge, you know, isn't, well, act under the Hatch Act, which prohibits certain governmental officials from using their office or even sometimes their phone or mail. I mean, people have been fired for using, sending mailings from their office when it related to campaigns. and. Basically, the judge said this was more related to the political campaign than it was to the official duties. And, you know, generally federal officials, well, officials at all levels generally have immunity when they make mistakes, when they make good faith mistakes. Uh, but they don't have immunity if they're making good faith mistakes or bad faith mistakes that are not specifically related to their duties. Um, and basically the judge said, these are not the official duties of, of Meadows. So there's no need to take them to a federal court. Yeah. And that was the risk that he took. And Chelsea, I'll have you comment on this for the legal side of Mark Meadows risk of testifying that he took mm -hmm. a huge gamble by actually testifying that he did certain acts where he got up and said, I admit that I did these things, mm -hmm. but. I don't believe that they were outside of my federal governmental role. So this should be a federal case and then I should be immune. Chelsea, what do you think is going to happen with a, with that gamble now? I am always amazed when anybody testifies, you know, they're a defendant and they testify. I just feel like that's the, like, look, there are a few things I picked up in law school and like that was repeated over and over and over. It's just like, don't get on the stand. If you for criminal cases, right? Yes. For criminal right. cases, yeah, but yeah, just like criminal. generally, you know, don't incriminate yourself. That's kind of the goal here in any way in any of this. And it's just surprising to me that he did. I don't see that going well for him. Um, just, you know, admitting this. It also just makes me laugh that I feel like this is all coming back to like a very 
early torts concept of like, what is the scope of your employment? What are those roles? Like who is liable for these things? That's like first semester torts. And I feel like this is what it really calls back to is like, yes, obviously there's these complicated, is it federal, is it state issues? But at the end of the day, it's like, was this within his role? Probably not. And and that's exactly what the judge said is, and, and Dr. Vile, what you were hinting and, and discussing is that everything he testified to his four to five hour long testimony he was he was saying these are the acts that i've committed and the judge has decided all of those acts that you said it does appear that you did them while you were chief of staff but you shouldn't have done them as i think if, if i remember from reading the decision i think there was one of them that he said was ambiguous or that might have fallen uh, within the scope of his job, but that the overwhelming, you know, most of them did not. And so I think he left a little wiggle room for him there, but not not very much. And and basically, right, what the judge said in the Meadows case was that there's a relatively low bar for a person engaged in official federal duties to get their court moved from state to federal. But in this case, he hadn't met even the low bar of showing that with, I think, with one exception, that any of these actions really were part of his official duties. So how does that, how do you think that will go toward the other defendants who have claimed that their case should go federal? Is this indicative of they're going to likely hit the same decision? I think so. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. But then that leads to the other piece is Miss Willis has now been denied her request to try all 19 defendants together. Right. So we must have, we have clumps of defendants together. We know at least two, Sidney Powell and K Kenneth Cheesebro are still set for that October date. Have there been any others, and this is me not having watched the news on this particular piece, so Chelsea or Dr. Vile, do we know if any others have been clumped together yet or even added to the initial October date? To my knowledge, I mean, none of them have. The reason they have two of them on October 23rd is they have asked for a speedy trial. And Georgia law, as I understand it, is actually ahead of or more stringent than federal law you have to do yes. it like within 60 days of being asked and so they asked so they had the right to my knowledge no one else has joined them uh, but you know what will be interesting is if they do and i think october 23rd is still a little bit early but if they have a trial in october or November, and particularly if they're convicted I think you're going to see a lot of people uh, trying to get strike, trying to strike plea bargains, um, and so you could you could very easily, you know, they might self separate out by those who say, no, I'm not taking any, you know, I'll, I'll take a fixed sentence rather than uh, take my chances in court versus the others. Uh, I think the most interesting would, you know, if anybody might have a claim. I don't know. For a separate trial, it might be Trump because he's sort of the big cheese. On the other hand, if there's anybody that you would want there in want in there as you're doing the trial, it would be the one that you believe sort of coordinated it. Uh, because right. then, then it makes it. right, right. 
the so, pointing the fingers. It, it makes it easier to say this was this wasn't me. This was him. Right. A classic, and vice versa. <laughs> I doubt that any of the others are going to try and join, like request speedy trial. I think they're going to wait and see how it turns yes. out, and then go from there. In sort of I you know. Agree. I guess it's that strategy of it of like, well, let's see what happens to them. And then we can decide, you know, if they're not convicted, well, maybe then we don't take a bar a plea bargain. Um, and then maybe the prosecutor is kind of stressing at that point to, you know, get some some convictions and we'll be offering deals versus maybe not at this point. You know, I don't think the judge is gonna have to worry about being unemployed. I mean, I know he already has, you know, like ten tenure during good behavior, but this is almost as good as being an academician. You know, I got five month trial here, seven month trial here, Look, uh, and you know, voting, so many others. My voting address is still in Georgia, so I'm waiting to get called for jury duty. Like, oh my goodness, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it would be exciting to participate in a historic event. On the other hand, that's what I'm saying. I mean, to I me, it would be perfect. Yeah. To I me, it would be misery because yeah, you I'm you wouldn't be able to watch the news, right? You yeah. wouldn't be able to discuss it. I wouldn't be able to appear on the weekly wine. Lauren scripted. That's right. There we goes all the. Yeah. They would never put me on a jury despite my desperate attempts. I'm like, I'm Fulton County is like an hour. <laughs> my mom is and where my address is. And I'm like, Look, guys, I could be there. I'm just waiting on bar results. I could come be a juror for a couple months. Let me in. They would never do it. They would never yeah, do it. I, just, I think you're going to be stricken from the jury. <laughs> I am like, I just need to be able to control my patient. I have no strong opinions. Nothing. None. I just yeah, need to get it together. You're pause rather than a peremptory strike. <laughs> and they know I'd write a dozen books about it if I were on the jury. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Catch me on a tell-all. Just blur my face out. And I'm like, here's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well i tell you what you definitely she gets on the jury we definitely need to invite her back here oh yeah that that would that might do more for your ratings than the, than the wines <laughs> County, call me. <laughs> we just need one big break it's okay i'm just saying y'all i could just just sneak me in i'll just you know sneak in real quick I mean, I'm just, the truth of this is, is I wonder, and I know you guys had talked about this, you know, last week or the week before of just, it's going to be so long. How are they just going to get, because I mean, minimum wage in Georgia is like 725 and I'm pretty sure that's what jurors make. And so it's like, these people are not going to be a week or a couple of weeks. It's going to be months and they might have to be like sequestered. I'm just, that would be miserable. That part would be. It would be a real hardship. I mean, particularly, you know, we try to get, you hope to get a jury of one's peers, but yeah. I can't imagine someone with children, small children being called. Uh, you wonder if you might get mostly retired people. Yeah. Um, not yeah. that they don't have anything to do, but um, you know, it, it would be a rare person who would, and per, particular, you know, to give a week, that's one thing, uh, but to give five, you know, three to seven months, uh, Right. That would be really tough. They just need to call me. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> we'll take volunteers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I can be unbiased. I just want to know. I'm so nosy. Present and you know, one, one of the fascinating things, and but people have missed part of it. 
one of the things that people have pointed out is you go through all the separate indictments in Georgia. There was one holdout apparently on each vote from and particularly when it regarded Trump. And so people are if you can't convince if you can't convince everybody on a grand jury where basically only one side is being heard. Right. Um, that's not quite fair, but, you know, one side is making the presentation. How are you going to do it on a on a on a pettit jury? And of course, one answer is probably a grand jury has 19 to 23 people on it. Uh, and I don't I honestly don't know. Maybe you do. But I don't think you do a voir dire for a jury for for a grand jury, do you? No. So, I mean, because you wouldn't yeah, even. I, I guess it depends on the state rules, but right. at least most of them, I do not believe that there is a voir dire for the, the grand right. jury, that it's just a selection of if you're on the list, you're, you're the there. List. Right. And and you're, I, I don't know. I think most of your viewers were no, would know, but the voir dire here is the process of in a pettit jury checking for biases you know are you related to anybody do you have any stake in the outcome you know are did you work on the trump campaign did you work against the trump campaign you know the kind of questions you know do you think you know do you have a strong opinion as to the guilt or innocence of these parties if you do do you think you know do you do you think we could put on this face here and say well i voted uh, against trump or i voted for trump but that won't at all affect uh, the way I judge and, uh, you know, and both sides get input into the, in, into that process. So right. because you don't have that in the grand jury and because the grand jury is larger, just because, and to, to go back, the importance of this is for, I think for a decision as consequential of this, you probably are going to need a unanimous jury. Do we yes. know in, in, in Georgia? Uh, yes, my understanding for criminal cases is that it has to be unanimous. Okay, and it has and to it, be 12 persons? Can. Yes. Okay, so again, the the importance of if you had a holdout, you would end up with a hung jury, which means, and again, people are not always clear about this, a hung jury does not exonerate you, right. it simply prohibits you're not convicted, but you can be retried. Correct. And I will say that no matter how indefatigable Willis turns out to be, there are only so many hung juries you would probably go for before you would finally either try to strike a, a modest deal or just give up on it. So, that, you know, that, that could, but I mean, that, that is a possible outcome that you could have three or four months of deliberation and then end up with neither guilty nor innocent. And I'm sure if, if that is one holdout, right. And, and if, and, if, you know, if that's what you go in as uh, frankly, as the defense attorney for any of them, mm -hmm. you go in, my strategy would not be to go in and win. My strategy would be to go in and have one. All mm -hmm. I need is one, yeah. one juror who has some doubt, one juror who can't fully convict and I've won. I've won yeah. that way because even if it's a hung jury, I've still done the best job for my defense, you know, for the defense and for my defendant. There's still no conviction. And like you're saying, go ahead and try it again. Right. You know, and that, right. Better yet, if you're a defense attorney, you get hired again. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. What's the hourly rate? <laughs> yes. 
me go get Barn in Georgia real quick. Let me just whip down there. <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is crazy. So, so in speaking of trials, mm-hmm. let's switch over to the third topic for today okay. of impeachment because these are a type of trial. Yes, but Dr. Vile, you're the best here of the three of us on the Constitution as to what it says for an impeachment of the president, because we have now officially started the impeachment process for President Biden. What does that mean? And how well, is it different from all of these trials we're talking about? Yeah, you may have overstated it a bit. And we've that's why you're start, Well, I mean, we've McCarthy has said he's going to turn it over to three committees to investigate that may or may not result in an impeachment. Now, and here's where, and I know we've been through this on prior programs, but they've been some time back. Impeachment is is the sort of the indictment process. And it, it requires, in Congress, it requires a majority of the House uh, to vote for impeachment. The If you get a majority plus one, or a majority, then... You go to the second stage, which is a trial stage, which takes place in the Senate. And most most state cases are similar. So there's there's actually two things that are that are at issue right now. One is this preliminary attempt to begin a prosecution of by or an investigation of Biden for what's believed what is alleged to be improper behavior in connection with his son and his son's business interests. Now, one of the difficulties is, you know, the 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 grounds, constitutional grounds for impeachment are bribery, treason, or other high crimes or misdemeanors. The high crimes and misdemeanors is a more ambiguous category, but typically is thought to involve or come close to involving actual criminal behavior. Uh, and as far as I know, there's really no evidence at this point that Biden has engaged in any such behavior. Uh, now, the case in there's a case going on right now in Texas, and it, it's possible that there most state constitutions are close to the way the U.S. Constitution goes, but their provisions might differ a little. But my understanding, there's investigation there of the attorney general. And he is actually alleged to have engaged in activity or behavior that is similar to bribery or, mm-hmm. you know, outright political, you know, quid pro quo uh, exchanges of favors, uh, um, you know, for uh, some, one of his clients or one of the individuals there in Texas. So that one, and what's interesting in that case is that. The, the AG is is a Republican, and many of the Republicans are among those who are leading the charge to impeach. And some people say it's it's a conflict between the Bush Republicans and the Trump Republicans. Uh, I think it probably goes beyond that. I, 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 you know, I don't know a lot about it, but it appears as though it comes pretty close to the traditional grounds for impeachment. What's happening right now, and there, there's another case, by the way, in Wisconsin, I believe, mm. where a federal judge or or a, I guess it's a state judge has been appointed. And before she even takes office, right. 
the Republicans, I believe, in the state are trying to keep her out of office through an impeachment process. So impeachment always has a political dimension. But in the last few years, I mean, before Obama was even elected president, people were threatening to impeach him. Before Trump was elected president, people were threatening to impeach him. And it's like, okay, you impeach Trump twice. We're going to get back at you by impeaching Biden. And it's really, a, it's really an unfortunate development, uh, in my judgment. Uh, well, let me ask you this, because it's, I think it is confusing, even for, for me and Chelsea. Chelsea, I'm going to lump you in with me here, maybe <laughs> unfairly. But it, it seems confusing with the terminology, because mm-hmm. everyone is saying, well, they're impeaching him. They're, you know, he's been it's, impeached. Right. It's okay. You can tell me if this is right or wrong, Dr. Vial. Obviously, that you're the expert here, but this is my understanding, Virginia, and this is the only thing I think I know correctly. Look, I hang on to the one fact I know, right? It's okay. Like, impeachment is like, because it's the filing articles of impeachment, which is just saying like, hey, we're, we've got enough people to say they did a bad thing, but they're not like, with Trump was impeached twice, but he was never like, I don't know, convicted is not the right word, but like right. the impeachments right. were not successful, right? Is that the, I don't know well, how to say it. He, is he, that- he was impeached twice, meaning- There was a a majority of the House of Representatives who voted to bring formal charges against him. Those charges then went to the Senate. When the Senate had to try him, they did not secure the necessary two-thirds majority to do so. Now, this is one of my areas of interest, as you know, that I'm, I'm particularly interested in proposed constitutional changes. And I actually think we need a change here. I think that I think that the simple majority for impeachment is probably not enough. And I think the two-thirds majority for conviction is probably too high. Because mm. what it's what's so I think it's too easy to impeach and too hard to convict, if that makes any sense. Yes. And I think it should well, be it does. I think it should be relatively hard to convict. But particularly at a time where the parties are so evenly balanced, anytime you have all Democrats on one side and all Republicans on the other, you probably are in partisan, you know, you're probably dealing with a partisan impeachment. There were, of course, in the Trump impeachments, uh, when it got to the Senate, I mean, you had a majority of the House, but the House was, if if I recall correctly, Right, Pelosi was hitting that the, the the house, so it was it was uh, headed by Democrats. Uh, you did have in the Senate, you did have some Republicans who said yes on both occasions that they thought that Trump should be removed from office. But most people, frankly, weren't looking particularly at the facts. It was like he's our president. You know, he represents our party. He's fairly popular. We don't want to get on the bad side of him. Uh, and vice versa. So it, it's it's. I think it's unfortunate that, that there always will be an element of politics within impeachment, but I think that it has become too politicized. And I don't know if we covered this before or not, but you know, there the last three or four presidents, even before they enter office, people are saying, uh, you know, they need to be impeached. Well, I haven't even had a chance to do something wrong yet. Right. <laughs> Give them a little leeway here. So with, and we'll use this as the as the final and, and wrap up, but with Biden, where in the process are we? Well, my understanding is 
we are in the process where the speaker on his own authority he did not put it to a vote because he didn't think he could necessarily get a vote he has said well there's enough clamor for this that we're going to set up some committees and they're going to begin investigation no one to my knowledge has introduced a formal uh article of impeachment but the general claims are that biden is corrupt because he has somehow aided and abetted uh his son's uh what are alleged to be illegal or questionable uh business activities okay, so uh, i don't the think press is saying he's being impeached we're really talking about the very beginning Th that that's right and again the, the fact that mccarthy proceeded and he said he would not do this but that he proceeded without even having a vote of Republicans suggests that it's relatively, you know, my guess is you'll have some very, you know, you, you'll have some hearings that'll get a lot of publicity. There'll be a lot of sound and fury. Uh, and unless something new comes up, it's probably going to be sound and fury signifying nothing, to use a Shakespearean phrase. Much to do about nothing. Uh, right yeah there we go okay what oh i said much ado about nothing yes <laughs> and and you know that's to, i mean that's sort of prejudging it here but typically i will say you know typically you don't you don't make as much a hubbub about starting an investigation that might you know if you start it with the notion that this might lead to impeachment you've already pretty much said you know this is a political kind of thing that we're doing so we'll see all right well thank you both for being here chelsea it is great to have you back and we hope that we can continue to see you back on our legal weekly wine i'm so glad to be back well, good luck with the bar right thank you yeah cross cross our fingers i got an email this week that instead of november when scores were supposed to come out they have updated the date october 13th is the date that we will oh, find out our scores it's not a Friday the 13th, is it? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is good to know. I'm glad you won't have to wait that much extra time. And Dr. Vile, thank you again for being here. Thrilled to have you both for season three. And we will catch everybody next time on The Legal Weekly Wine.